Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis in New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. So bro, what did you do with the $76,000? <laughs> Um, I am uh, I'm paying my student loans with uh, $76,000. So for people that don't know, uh, Safi started a GoFundMe uh, to get his dad to say, I love you. And I, I hope people realize that's a satire piece I wrote, um, uh, making fun of some of the absurd GoFundMe campaigns that you see. But people um, still donated. Which is crazy. No, no, that's a satire piece. Like oh, that. I thought people it's actually photo- did it. It's photoshopped. Yeah, yeah. It, it, oh. it tricked you into believing that as well, which is hilarious to me, which I love. But, but listen, I've seen, yeah, like you said, I've seen crazier GoFundMe than people. people no, for Yeah, that, that's the point. It's like, do you believe like it's like someone uh, donating to your campaign to make your dad say I love you? I had people reach out to me after that, after that was published that we should get our dads to also raise money so that our dads can say I love you to us, which is so, so like relatable on like a deep level to so many people. Yeah, people's intentions are good. But I also read today that there was this Black Lives Matter campaign that raised millions of dollars and it had nothing to do with Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. Brown I think- Lives Matter? <laughs> yeah. They didn't, uh, they didn't tell uh, people what the acronym was, Brown Lives Matter. That's funny. So it's all BLM, right? It's all BLM. It could yeah. be anything. If you don't really expand the acronym, it might be something you're not reading into. You're like, oh, it's BLM. Let's just donate, but it could be anything. So people, <laughs> people obviously, you know, take advantage of uh, movements like this all the time. Yeah, and upsetting. So you were uh, a chemical engineering, uh, a chemical engineer before this. What made you turn to t- comedy? I am still a chemical engineer. I. I I still have a day job and I'm very lucky to have that working from home. Right now I should be on a meeting, but I am talking to you, which is great. But yeah, like I finished college with chemical engineering and then I had too much free time and I was like, that's not good. Because like free time is, is, a, is a space for negative thoughts to seep in. And I just always like, liked being busy. And I always enjoyed comedy. Comedy is something that always I found was uh, humbling and also uh, talking to to power or uh, just like looking at the absurdity of life and just having another creative outlet was very important to me. So that's how I got into it and I will look back. It wasn't like a plan that I wanted to be a comic. It just kind of fell on my plate and it has been amazing since then for sure. How would you say it's it's humbling? Is it because you're making yourself incredibly vulnerable on stage? For sure, it's just like yeah, um, through comedy, people know me more than like my personal like interaction with my friends. Like they will come to a show and they're like, "Oh my god, I had no idea that this happened." In this one anecdote that I might I might have mentioned on stage that night that happened to you. Um, so like through stage, like Richard Pryor was one of the earliest ones who kind of established that kind of comedy just like making sure that he really tells you who he is and trying to make trying to make fun of the of the just like the sadness that kind of that kind of overshadows in everybody's lives and you know people don't really want to talk about failures on stage or like in life and 
comedy is like one of the only art form that people love talking about their failures. It's just, just like very real. Because like if you go to work, we talk about, oh, how's the weather? No one talks about how's the marriage. You know what I mean? Prior is the goal. Do you think Prior would be successful today? Um, for sure. But like Prior was like the set, set, setting it at the on in that edge. So like it's like you know how Einstein always said that uh, we he's only he, he only did such great work because he's standing on the shoulder of giants, right? And that's pretty much what we are doing. It's like a ste- stepping stone. Prior would probably be different now, and it's like nowhere to tell. It's like you know. Like, no, you cannot really, I guess, uh, forecast how something's going to turn out. Like, 2020 started out great for everyone, I'm sure. <laughs> and a month in, we're like, okay, let's go back to 20, 2019. Yeah, in February, I was in Bali. Uh, oh, wow. Look at you, Bali. Yeah, you're balling in Bali. <laughs> and then uh, now I'm stuck in a, at a WeWork all by myself. Right. I'm curious about prior, though, and people like... Carlin and Pryor and Lenny Bruce and yep. whether they would be canceled, you know, today. I mean, you know, nowadays you like a post that's unpopular and you can get canceled. And I can't imagine Carlin saying something, you know, and then the entire mob not coming after him. That is obviously a possibility, right? Um, but at the same time, you know, we talk about cancel culture, but all the comedians that have been canceled haven't really been canceled. They're still touring and they're still finding their voice somehow. They're selling out theaters. Uh, maybe they're being canceled by Hollywood, but that kind of pushes their fans to come out stronger. Um, if you look at Louis C.K. came out with an album, Alice Ansari came out with another Netflix. Like, I don't, there is no such, like, it feels like we're canceling stuff, but I don't think they're being canceled. But at the same time, you can make, you know, you can take both sides and kind of understand what is going on. I don't know, like, how, how do you feel about all of that? Well, you're right. Aziz, Aziz special did well. Uh, I know yeah. Louis C.K. still has a big following. No, that's true. I think his loyal fans are still going to support him. And Louis and his comedy hasn't changed. And people liked his brand of comedy. Um, right. And he's not going to change that. And actually, if you really think about his, Louis C.K. specifically, his brand of comedy, this will actually give him more material, I feel. And it did. Like, he addressed all of that a lot, I think. I, that's what I've heard from people at least. And, and you know, he's, he's always been that kind of a comic. And, you know, he just got more of an edge now. Uh, what's your brand of comedy, do you think? Is it dark humor or what's your brand? Um, very safe. I can, you can bring your kids and watch my comedy. Um, really? Yeah. yeah that's, that's intentional? Uh, intentional and that's kind of the comedy I'm attracted to as well. Um, like the Jerry Seinfeld? Not necessarily Jerry Seinfeld, but like that could be, that could be part of it. I, I enjoy, I enjoy things that are not too, um, uh, and obviously everything is subjective, right? Like offense is taken, not given. Um, so it doesn't really, I, I, I cannot speak to what is offensive now. It's going to change over time. So it's, I'm not the arbiter of that and no one is. It's like the freedom of speech. You have that freedom, but you also, they also have the freedom to uh, show their outrage. But I, I just try to be kind, and um, that's, that's kind of my life goal. 
um, just being kind. And when, when I think about kindness, it's not about roasting someone on from stage. But like there will be you know situations, sure, where I have done it in the past and I probably will in the future. But if someone gets offended and upset, I have no problem coming out and apologizing because I don't really believe that uh, hurting someone is... Yeah, like uh, unless unless I can, you know, I, I look into the inter situation and they're just a bigot, then maybe not. But if it's someone who's like coming coming at me with like a with a real cause and a real reason, I have no problem apologizing. But that's just who I am. I don't really, I'm not really doing anything out there to make someone upset. I don't see the point of that personally. I mentioned this earlier before we started, but I think com- com- comics are my favorite types of guests, and we've had a lot of comics on the podcast. And yeah. I think it's because, yeah, I think generally comics are just really self-deprecating and laid back as right. as far as my interactions with them. But I, I watched this interview with Chris Rock, and he was saying that a lot of comics are, in their personal lives, the most serious people you'll meet. Do you think you're like that? Or are you like... Um, I, I guess that's the thing with comedy is that after I got into it, I have met the most diverse group of people, right? It could be a sex worker who turned into a comedian. It could be a CEO who quit his job to be a comedian, right? It's like you meet all sorts of people and that's kind of what uh, makes it so beautiful in the sense that you just, you're just, everyone is equal. It's like, you know, it's like you, when you find yourself out there and you see anyone can get started, like music, right? It's like anyone can get started but like over time you put in the work and you obviously differentiate yourself from other people. But like when it comes to seriousness in, in New York city and like, you know, at any, at any level of competition, you, 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 you find people who are serious. So I guess people obviously who care about their career a lot, uh, is always going to be serious, but there needs to be some kind of a balancing out where you can also, uh, see the reality of things and and just enjoy the course because like just the idea of being on stage and getting someone's attention for however long maybe five minutes maybe maybe thirty minutes is a privilege especially in this era where social media is so rife and rampant and just everyone is vying for attention so if someone is giving you attention you should utilize that really well and just be appreciative that you have you have this platform to speak from and i think that's beautiful in a sense right because that's the only art form that's where you will just like live and being there out there just enjoying the moment concentrating on what's going on do you remember the first time you went up on stage yeah for sure that's uh i was in upstate saratoga um close to albany that's where my first job was i was working there and i was walking after work and this guy just was barking outside, which is just like advertising the open mic. Open mics where comedians obviously go and try out new stuff. So I went in and I saw people just like trying out, failing, just like, you know, being themselves. And it was just like the most liberating thing I had seen live. And I wrote and next week I went back and then that was it. Never started. How did it go? Uh, the first time I went up, I... I was nervous. I have like a video of that. It's just like the most awful thing I, I have <laughs> with me. Uh, it's just like, I cringe every time I see it. It's just like not good. I just had observations, not really turned out to be jokes. Those are just things I had seen over the years. And I was like, oh, this will be funny. But I didn't know joke structure. I didn't really know how to, how to, uh, how to showcase my point of view through my observations. It was just like, oh, do you think this is funny? Like, so it was very, very um, 
in their early early stages, and I would expect them to because that was my first time. Well, how do you stru- structure a joke? Um, there are so many devices that you can use to structure jokes. Um, you know, there are so many books, and just like looking at comedians, you can if you like really analyze, you can make it make it like a scientific formula, like anything. But like you know, obviously it's subjective. Um, but you have you create analogies, you create counterpoints, you create similes, metaphors. You you can use the rule of three, which is which is used a lot. You can use um, different point of views, like how you feel versus how someone else feels. A lot of people do a lot of contrasting between you know white people versus black people. Like you can do that with like your friend versus me. Um, so there's a lot of devices that you can really use if you really understand how to how to put forward the idea and then analyzing all different angles. That first time that you went up, you didn't do well. Did you get have any hecklers? Not any hecklers. It was very like friendly mic um, and it's still going on upstate where that's like my home club. It was at the time. No, no hecklers, but I have had heckles over the years for sure, but not that night. How do you handle hecklers? I try to, I try to just like talk and understand what the situation is. Um, usually, I, if they're drunk, then, you know, if they're being drunk and obnoxious over time, they'll get thrown out. But if they're just, like, trying to be funny, then you can, like, try to, you know, have a comeback or you can just try to, like, you know, go into your material about something they said or, like, interact with them. And then if they say something that's, like, you find funny, you can riff on that for a bit. Yeah, there are like different ways you can really handle someone. You know, Jimmy Carr, he he's like the best at handling hackers. He just like goes all out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, Jimmy Carr is very, very famous. Uh, very famous English British comic. Um, he's very good with one-liners, and his comedy is like that. His comedy yeah. is roasting and being on your, being at your face. Um, so yeah, he's he's great. You mentioned roasting earlier. I have to say, it is incredibly mean, but the Comedy Central roast is just so funny. And yeah, I, but that's but I, I think the setting is set, right? It's like if you're roasting each other, you know already that you're going to be roasted. And if you sign up for something like that, you should expect nothing less. The 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 meaner the better. So I guess there's all obviously an audience for that and they are already like they already go into expecting that. So they shouldn't be surprised or offended. So do you think you could do something like that if you wanted to? I know you mentioned your your comedy is a little bit more wholesome, but if you wanted to, I, could you do that? I have I have done roast competitions uh, in the past, and it uh, it was really fun, just like being a part of it and learning how to write roast jokes and and just like going through the process. But like you know, I like learning a lot uh, with anything, and uh, what I enjoy about learning is that I realize if it's for me or if it's not for me, and I realize it was not for me, um, and I was like full of like negative energy throughout the month that I was mm. part of and. And it was affecting my real comedy or, or, or my stand-up comedy. Because um, it was just like, you had to like, kind not hate them, but like you had to be mean. And you had to think about being mean throughout the entire month. And that was just like a headache that I don't want to live with. Yeah. Jeff Ross is really good too. And oh, yeah, there's all Jeff these Ross. specials where he, and I don't know if any other entertainer can do this, but he goes to jail uh, prisons yeah. and he heckles the prisoners. These are like, murderers and you know and he's like heckling he's like roasting them and they're just laughing yeah 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 yeah. he he but but that that's the thing like he he made a name for himself um by roasting he calls himself the roast master um and he kind of he kind of spearheaded that campaign and marketing marketing that to a 
uh, audience, which is, you know, and he did good for himself, obviously, amazingly. Is there anything off limits in your comedy? Uh, my comedy, like I said, I just want to be kind. I don't care about what other people, like I said, they have the freedom to do whatever they want. And uh, I obviously personally don't take offense. So I don't really care about what they're doing because, you know, you have the platform, you do whatever. But at the same time, they should realize that, you know, people also have the freedom to, uh, freedom to not like your stuff and also blog about it. So just be aware of all of that, right? But yeah, like do whatever you want. I don't, I, I don't have a personal opinion. Just like I don't want to be mean or uh, offensive to someone intentionally at least. Have you ever had your family in the audience? Yeah, my sister sister saw me a few times. Um, my parents saw my videos, but yeah, that's to the extent. I had like one of my friends obviously watched a lot. What do your What does your parents think about your comedy, and what do they think about you doing comedy in general? Well, my parents are back in Bangladesh, right? Okay. Uh, straight up OG, uh, OG <laughs> Bengalis. So they don't they don't really have an opinion on it as long as like you know they they are like good loving people and they just want the best for their kids and. I am uh, lucky enough to, you know, like do comedy and have a job and it's not been an issue. And, uh, and as long as I'm stable, they are, they are, they are supportive of everything. So that's like the, you know, South Asian parents, they don't care that as you're doing fine. But what, what if you wanted to leave chemical engineering and focus on comedy full time? Do you think they'd be supportive of that? Well, I don't know if I would do it personally myself. I'm, oh. very, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a very realistic person. And I haven't had an issue with doing both at the same time. And, you know, unless something big comes to my plate where I get like a full-time gig, I'm not going to be someone who's like, oh, let's leave all of that and then just do this. Because like, look at the times now. It's uh, live art form has been impacted drastically with the, with the times of COVID. And uh, unfortunately, I don't know when it's going to be back to the full capacity, maybe late 2021. Um, given the vaccine really does its job, um, but right now, like comics are suffering. Even the even the people with five Netflix specials. You know, I was talking to a few of my friends who have like were on Netflix and just like you know uh, did really well for themselves and not out of work right now. Um, but like I am very lucky to have uh, a paying paying job and not being stressed. I'm still being able to do comedy. I am going out there doing stuff you know i have shows coming up and i don't have to really worry about cash flow so which is nice so i don't really i don't really i don't really think it uh, my job as an obstacle I, I enjoy both parts of my life the analytical and the creative do you are you the funny person at work also i try to be i'm very i'm, I'm very relaxed as a person i at least i think i am um, so I try to make everyone happy and that's, that's kind of the goal. I'm not taking things too seriously because uh, we are going to die. <laughs> <I know. laughs> well, that's not wholesome. We are going to die. <laughs> I think that's very wholesome. Uh, a lot of my philosophies of life are driven with the fact that people are very afraid of dying and I think we should embrace it. And that gives you more of a timeline and uh, that gives you more of a perspective and also gives you. Uh, the ability to appreciate things because people take things for granted. And when you think that people might be dying, like I just heard news from my parents that one of them tested positive for COVID. Oh. And that was like, you know, like I can appreciate that they might not have a lot of time, but they're like doing doing well and um, hopefully they recover. But like, that's the thing, like you just like your emotional capacity just increases so much when you when you realize that someone might be going away from you forever. So like the ability to 
uh, be okay with debt is huge because that just it makes you do things that you love and enjoy and appreciate life in a whole new level. I think it's a great perspective. Are you? Do you listen to any Bengali comics? Um, well, we have like what five maybe Bengali comics. All of them are in New York City. No, I mean, I mean actually in Bangladesh, like Bangla that that speak in Bangla. Yeah, um, I I don't really listen to Bangla comics um, per se, like people who speak in Bangla, I guess. But like Navid Mahbub, I don't know if you know him. He's he's like the Jimmy Fallon of Bangladesh. Oh, really? Show. Yeah, yeah, he's a TV show. Uh, he has the only comedy club that I performed in when I was in Bangladesh last in year. In Bangla or you performed in English? I, I did it in, in English. It was like a young audience and everyone was really, really supportive and fun. And it was a really great time. I didn't expect it to be so fun, but the audience was just like really fun and on board with everything I had to say. So that was really, really fun. Could you do Bangla if you wanted to? Um, I'm not sure if I could, to be honest with you, because the way uh, English... Uh, Sentences work are, I think, different than how Bangla works. So I have to translate and think about all of that. Like now, my set is like very strictly English, and I I know what to do at what moment and what to what to say. So I'm not sure if I would be able to. Um, and also, like Bengalis have a different sense of humor than people in the states for sure. Um, and they you know enjoy different things, and that's the beauty of it, right? Like it's like different. You have to like have different kinds of thoughts to different group of people, and some are obviously encompassing. Um, and crosses uh, cultural boundaries. Yeah, I, I, I loved, as a kid, uh, Hanif Shangat. He was really funny. Oh, for sure, yeah. It, it yeah. Thought you, right? Itadi was, yeah, really funny. But he also just did these, I remember when I was really young, he had these cassettes that we would listen to, and he would do accents, and it, it was very much like how in the United States you had these vari- variety shows, and the 60s and 70s, it was very much like that, where Hanif Shangat would just do everything. Right. He was very versatile. And he yeah. was also the one, I think, who introduced us to Mr. Bean, if I'm... Really? I don't know that. Interesting. Remembering it correctly. Because like maybe he talked about it, or maybe Itadi had like a few episodes where they had like clips of Mr. Bean. Mm. Um, but yeah, he, he has been very... He was probably the one comedy show that we saw growing up, like as, as Bengalis. Like he was the... It was a driving force. There was an episode where he had, uh, he talked about David Letterman mm. and he interviewed, so on David Letterman, uh, downstairs from where the David Letterman was shot, there's actually a Bengali store. They sell like, not a Bengali store, there's a store, they sell souvenirs and they're yeah. owned by Bengalis. So David Letterman would always have those guys on David Letterman on the show. Bengali right. guys. So, right. So then uh, Hanif Shanget one day interviewed those Bengali guys. So I thought it was cool. It was like the only, it was just cool that he like put both because I was, I would watch David Letterman and then I would you know, watch Hellman. He kind of put those worlds together. So that was really cool. Yeah, that's a fun anecdote. I had no idea that happened, but that's really cool that uh, he got to interview them. That's, that's really fun. Do you watch Late Night? Do you watch any of the Late Night comedians? Yeah, like, like, like late night TV shows like Colbert and Fallon and uh, Seth Meyers and all of them. Um, John John Oliver is like very great with his um, one episode per week, and Hasan Minaj obviously is huge in the um, in the community right now. Um, so yeah, I try to watch whenever I can. But yeah, they're doing great. All of them are really funny and have different perspectives, which is really really interesting to see how you know you have so many different TV shows, but like they try to add their own twists, which is very interesting. Yeah, I, I Colbert and Seth Meyers, 
they're different because they're they're writers and now they're kind of doing stand up right so that's different do you think all people that are funny and can write can also do stand up conan did it too i, I think i think not necessarily cuz like conan has always been a writer and uh, Seth Meyers or you know he he wrote for SNL um and also that was the head head writer uh, for SNL um Colbert he actually took a lot of improv at oh, yeah. city yeah. and at Chicago can, yeah and you can tell from his uh late night that he does improv cuz he's just like all over the place and has a good time Seth Meyers and you can see Seth Meyers and Conan are more of a t- writers because they sit at one spot and do jokes literally they're great writers but they're not like great performers per se um so it's it's a different different ball game right like like uh, Hed, uh Mitch Hedberg he he's like a one liner comic but you could do that by sitting down or being uh standing up so you don't really need to be a performer and then that's the beauty of comedy you don't need uh you need, you don't need to do everything you can just use your talents to succeed and people have done that You mentioned earlier that there's a handful of Bengali comic comics in New York. Are you guys like a small group do you support each other keep in touch? Oh for sure. Um uh Usama Siddiqui, I think he he just was at America's Got Talent. I know amazing. amazing. Yeah, yeah. So so that was huge. Um he's such a sweet dude and I've always been always rooting for that guy. He works so hard. Um he was born in Canada and then now lives in Dallas obviously. um but yeah so we kind of know each other we have we you know we we had a show that children of 71 put together where I remember yeah yeah all, all the bengali comedians got to perform together for the first, and that was like the first time i've heard of something like this and that was really amazing to see the support and the and the end of friendship among everyone um so yeah we all know each other and try to be there whenever someone needs us to be so yeah i don't think i don't think i would want it any other way that's great to see Yeah, for sure. It's it's been it's been fun just seeing them work. So what else do you have going on? Um right now I am working on my podcast called Americanized, which I've been very proud of producing. Um so the podcast idea is uh looking into how America influences the globe because we all know America is more than a country, it's an idea that kind of propagates across the globe. So the first episode which was very personal to me it was about how America kind of influenced the 1971 war um which gave Bangladesh the part of Bangladesh and how Nixon and Kissinger kind of dictated what was going on uh because of the Cold War era and how um the the diplomat that was in East Pakistan now Bangladesh uh, Archer Blood wrote this letter to uh, Nixon suggesting that there was a genocide going on and told him to condemn whatever was going on but he refused because he uh, West Pakistan was allies and they had to kind of uh kind of appease them because uh, Russia uh, was not their ally so they, they they there was so many things going on and just like looking into that was really interesting for me because like growing up I didn't really know how America would play any part in the part of Bangladesh how there was a concert in uh, Madison Square Garden to raise so much money for this country that wasn't even born yeah the Beatles right yeah the beatles and then how how you had uh you had this uh group of protesters in uh, in uh, we, what they tried to do is blockade this ship that was uh, supposed to go to pakistan with arms because congress at the time had blocked any kind of uh, arms shipment to pakistan but obviously nixon tried to sell them regardless so there were just so many different dynamics like if you think of nixon 
Bangladesh scandal doesn't even, even come in top three, right? You have the Watergate, you have so many other things that were cut, the Vietnam War. So, so that's the thing, like people don't really know a lot about that incident and just like researching different books and papers and looking at archi- archival footage. And Nixon was this interesting guy who would tape all of his phone conversations and just going through so many of his phone conversations to make that episode wholesome was really a fun process. And I was really proud of that because I also got to interview my dad who went, who was like a kid at the time and uh, how he kind of navigated the war and just putting that together to, to showcase a story was really fun for me. And everyone who listened to the first episode really told me that they enjoyed it. So that's been something I've been working on. Um, and then obviously doing stand up, writing satire that kind of tricked you into believing that I raised $76,000. Yeah, so I have like a few different projects going on, which I'm sure people who are listening, they can look into my website and find more if they're interested. I'm very gullible, so I I fall for things very easily. (laughs) Which I love, that's fine, that's fair. So that episode is already available? Yeah, yeah, it's all Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcast. We'll link it. I find that fascinating. And one interesting thing about that is that I don't think even the people that were protesting would have known about it unless if the Beatles hadn't raised awareness about it. Like, so George Harrison is is like renowned in Bangladesh because he's the person that really started to you know bring up um, the genocide here. And 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 I think you know without that, I don't think people would even know about it. Oh, it was huge because uh, Ravi Shankar was actually the Bengali who was friends with uh, George Harrison and they kind of put together this concert for Bangladesh, which to date, like, raised around 26 million US dollars, which is insane if you think about it. And that kind of created so much, like, uh, so many, so much traction in this country. And it's beautiful that how art can change a uh, birth of a country. And that was, that was kind of the point and the true line of that episode that art and good activism actually can shape what is going on in this planet. And American activism is very important and people have such a huge responsibility being a part of this country that they really need to voice voice against oppression uh, throughout, the, throughout the globe and, and in this country, and which we're seeing with the protests, right? So it's beautiful to see and also realize and also remember that kind of things that went down and take example from that and also work towards other things that are going wrong and try to change them if possible. Yeah, it also shows the power of celebrity, right? I think a lot of celebrities misuse their power, but that shows an example of how a celebrity can actually can do, use their yeah, voice a, to raise awareness for something that's so important. Exactly. It's a platform. And uh, you know, people always talk about, oh, like actors should just act. No, yeah. they shouldn't. They have a platform and yeah. they worked hard to get there. And if they're trying to vocalize something they're passionate about, they 100% should be. And that's what that was an example of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see what else you have going on and I uh, hope you uh, come back and talk about anything else you have going on. I'm, I'm excited to listen to that episode of the podcast too. I really appreciate you, Kamru, having me and uh, all the Bengalis creating such a good space for other Bengalis to connect and work together. And it's really fun to see how much, the, how much your page and your community has grown. And I'm really proud to be a proud part of this. I appreciate you guys having me. Gotta be honest, with diamonds and pearls, yeah, yeah. Bengalis in New York, all over the world. Uh, it's the bony show. Uh, hey, 
Can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live From the slang we spit to the gangs we with It doesn't matter, we the essence of the Bangladesh I say, hey, come on Can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live